Our first scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Chronicles 6, verses 20 and 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. May your eyes be open towards this temple day and night, this place of which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer of your servant, the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make them well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So, last week, we started looking at uh, something a little bit new. We started talking about seeing the gift of renewal that we have through Jesus Christ through our relationship with God and through the work that the Spirit is doing within us and all throughout the world. After all, we worship a God who, Scripture tells us, is making all things new, and that includes you and me. But as we celebrate having the gift of renewal, having the promise of renewal in our lives, what we also know is that there are certain habits, there are practices, there are things that we can do to make ourselves more open to God's work. Now bear in mind, this does not mean that we are doing things to make ourselves more holy. It means that we are doing things to keep ourselves in check as God makes us more holy and closer to Him and draws us towards His perfection. After all, the things that we do repeatedly are the things that determine the trajectory of our lives. The habits that we keep and the things that we practice shape us into the people that we become. We started off last week by talking about Scripture and how daily study of Scripture, whether it's in the morning when you wake up or at night before you go to bed or even very briefly during your lunch break at work, regardless of where in your day you do this, setting aside time to intentionally study Scripture and search for the truths that it tells us about how God works in our lives, how God has worked throughout history, doing that lets us to begin to know who God is, lets us begin to see how God works, how God has worked, and by extension, how God is still at work in our lives. And as we set aside that time to study Scripture, 
we develop the habits that let us, when we don't have time to be intentional, when all we can do is react and respond, these habits determine how we respond. So if we're in the habit, in the practice of reading Scripture and turning our eyes towards God, then when we don't have time to think, that's what we'll naturally do in response as well. But there's a big difference between knowing about something, between knowing about someone, and actually knowing them. This is something that I learned uh, very clearly while I was in college. There's, there's certain uh, experiences that everybody has that really humble us, I think. And this is one of those things for me. Some of you may know, I spent my first year and a half in college as an electrical engineering major. And then I spent my second year and a half in college finishing up an English degree. As part of this engineering training, you have to take a lot of math classes. So I took three semesters of calculus. And I'm someone who, who actually does like math. I've always been fairly good at it. It's never really been uh, too bad uh, for me. But my calculus three class was a challenge. I had this professor named uh, Dr. Valetas. He was a Greek man. And he loved math. But he didn't love math in the same way that all of us engineering majors loved math. He loved math for its own sake. He loved thinking about abstract calculus and abstract geometry, and he lived for those kinds of classes. So my class of 200 or so engineering majors was not always on the same page as him. After all, we loved applications. We wanted to be able to uh, learn things that we could put into use in our other classes. And I'm not going to say, I won't say that Calculus 3 was what led me to go from engineering to English, but it was certainly something that I was thinking about as I was making that decision. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out this professor. I went to his class for uh, every time that it meant. I was always there. I always paid attention and took notes. I even looked up uh, the papers that he had written. I didn't understand them, but I looked them up so that I could try and grasp where he was coming from and what was important to him and how I might be able to do better in his class. But at the end of the day, what I ended up seeing was I came to truly believe that this was a man who saw us as his enemies. This was a professor who saw us as, as little more than uh, people to challenge and to provide a little bit of an obstacle towards. And I'm, I'm ashamed to admit, I began to see him the same way, as someone who stood against me, who existed just to be a barrier to the goals that I and other students were pursuing. So fast forward about a year, I'm working at a coffee shop, and I loved my time at this coffee shop because I got to meet lots of people. I got to see people working hard and, and, and talk to uh, people that I wouldn't have otherwise. And there was this window that you could see from behind the counter. And it led out onto a courtyard sort of area where people would sit and read or talk or play in a, a grassy 
area in the middle of it. And it was a, it was a pleasant late summer, early fall sort of day. The perfect time to be in a coffee shop. And as I'm standing behind the counter one day, I see a customer coming up, and so I turn, and who is it but Dr. Valetas? And so I go, to, I go to the counter like a good employee and say, how can I help you today, sir? But what I'm thinking is, you must remember me. You must know what you've done. But he had no idea who I was. The truth of the matter was, I was just one student out of 200 in this class. This was just one class. He taught many of these large groups. He had no idea who I was, and I didn't really have any idea who he was either. And this became more and more clear to me as I talked to him, because he didn't just place his order and walk off. He stayed and talked to us. He ordered five drinks, so this took a while to get done. And as we were making them, he made small talk, he made jokes, he was friendly, he tipped well, he was just a pleasant person to have there. He was a good customer, but also he was just good at conversation. And after he got his drinks, I watched as he took these five, uh, these five coffee drinks outside and passed them out to his wife and his three children And then watched as he, without any shame whatsoever, proceeded to chase them around in this little area. These kids who were all probably under five years old, just laughing and having a good time with their dad. And I realized that for as much as I'd tried to figure out this professor, I had no idea who he actually was. They tell you to never meet your heroes because it might change how you see them. Well, On that day, I learned that you might not want to meet your enemies because it might change how you see them too. This is true not just for professors at huge universities. This is true for every single person that you meet. And it's also true for our relationship with God. There's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing them personally. As we study Scripture, we can learn to see how God is working, and we can learn about who God is. But I know a lot of people who know the Bible, but do not know God. So there has to be a way for us to bridge that gap, to make that jump from knowing about God to actually knowing God. Because passing interactions... And reputations of people give you limited perspective at best. And for us as Christians to come to know God, it is critically important that we spend time talking with God. And we do that through prayer. Prayer is talking with God. As you talk to God, as you get more comfortable and familiar with being open with him, not just in telling him, but also in listening to what he has to say. Scripture tells us that prayer lets us experience the work that he's doing rather than just reading about it. But when it comes to prayer, something that I've found is that people have real reservations Lots of people find themselves hung up on this question of how do I pray correctly? 
What's the right way to do this thing? Some people say that it has to be spontaneous. It has to flow from the heart and be led by the Spirit. That if it's not, then it's not genuine. Other people are perfectly happy to pray from a prayer book. Some people say that in order for your prayers to be real, you have to be convicted by the Spirit to pray in tongues. Other people say that the right way to pray is in quiet submission on your knees with folded hands to yourself so that no one else can hear. And some people get so caught up and not knowing what to say that they just don't say anything at all. But I think there's a few things that we can know about prayer that will show us that there's not necessarily a right way to pray. Because when we get hung up in this, oftentimes we stop saying anything at all. So the first thing that we need to know about prayer is that the most important thing is simply that we do it. That if we let ourselves get so caught up in praying the right way that we stop praying, then we've completely missed the point altogether. Prayer is our way of coming to know God personally in our lives. So when we get so stuck in not knowing what to say that we stop saying anything, what we're doing is we're cutting ourselves off from the source of life that we have come to know. So the first thing is that we just have to do it. The second thing is, I do think that prayer needs to be personal, but that doesn't mean that it has to be spontaneous like that. There are people for whom spontaneous prayer, who can just let a prayer go and talk and be open with God that way. And that can be really powerful. But it's also true that prayers that were written centuries ago can be just as powerful for us today as they were for the person who wrote them all those years back. So it doesn't matter where they come from. What matters to prayer is that you are praying and that it's a prayer that does speak to your heart. But then the final part of prayer that's important for us is that we pray like Jesus prayed. I don't mean following the formula of the Lord's Prayer necessarily, though sometimes you'll hear people say that. No, what I mean is when we read about Jesus' prayers, when we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane awaiting his arrest, what we see him pray is Lord, if you are willing, take this cup from me. I don't want it, but your will be done. When we can learn to pray like Jesus, with the final goal being that God's will is done in our lives and in the world, that opens us up to the work that God is doing through His Spirit. A life that's built on this kind of prayer is a life that's fully built on trust in the Lord. As James says here in our scripture this morning, we can trust that God can and will work in every situation, in trouble, in happiness, in sickness, and in sin. God is at work in your life. And what's more, James is clear that prayer does work. 
that it matters, and that it can make an impact. We're called to pray for and anoint the sick, to pray for healing, to pray for each other for the forgiveness of sin. It tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we believe that. But this this gives rise to a question that all of us have either asked or will almost certainly consider in our lives. That's the question about what about those moments where prayer doesn't seem to work? What about those moments where I pray for healing and nothing changes? What about that? Friends, the truth in those times and in every time is that at the end of the day, God will be God. Nothing that we can say or do will change the fact that God will be God, loving and holy, creator of the universe and sustainer of our lives. But when we pray and when we trust in Him, prayer teaches us to have that deep trust even in those moments, even in those challenging times, because prayer is not just about talking to God. Rather, it's about learning to listen and watch so that we can know when God is responding and how God is responding. Even when it's hard for us to see the effects in the world, God does use prayer to change us. And one way or another, God uses prayer to change the world as well. Back when I was in high school, I knew this kid who was a year or two younger than me. And this was, this was someone who'd been sick for a long time. He didn't know whether or not his disease was going to turn out to be terminal. But he did know that every single day, he woke up in pain. And when he fell asleep, he was going to be in pain still. This went on for his entire life. And yet this was a kid who was probably the most joy-filled loving person that I've ever met in my life, even to this day. He went out of his way to spread joy and happiness and kindness to people who not only were his friends and family, but to everybody that he met. This wasn't someone that I knew very well. He was in my youth group, which had probably a hundred kids. So I didn't know him super well, but even I was touched by his kindness and his generosity and love during my times there. And I actually ran into him about two years into college when I was home on break. I ran into him at a grocery store. And we recognized each other, even though we didn't know each other well. And so started talking, catching up, how's it going kind of conversation. And at one point I told him, look, I just want to let you know that you, you did an amazing thing for me when I was going through a hard time. And you've done amazing things for so many people. And he told me something that changed the way that I think about prayer even now. He said, I don't know how many days I'll have, but I do know that God is good and that I want to do everything that I can for everybody that I can during these days that I have left. 
And the reason that I know that God is good is because I talk to him constantly. I pray all the time. And that prayer not only gets me from one day to the next, that prayer keeps me going in joy and so that I can spread that. God uses prayer to change the world, sometimes miraculously, yes. But sometimes God uses prayer to change us so that God can use us to change the world. As we learn to trust in God and submit to God to say, your will be done, we learn to see more clearly those moments when it is. Those moments when God's will is done. And at the end of the day, as we keep our prayers directed towards God, we can have confidence, as our first scripture reading said, we can have confidence that he hears them. And with that confidence and with eyes that are looking for the response, we can be assured that we will see God work in the world. The prayer of a righteous person, someone who has learned to trust in God and look for how he's at work, is powerful and effective. James says that Elijah was just a person, just a human being like you or me or anyone else, and yet he prayed fervently. He put his trust in God and prayed for the rain to stop, and it did. And then looking around when he saw what God was doing and where God was working in the world, he prayed for the rain to come back, and God brought the rain. When we pray with the confidence of people saved by grace, with the confidence of people who know Christ in our lives, we aren't just preparing for a small trickle of righteousness or a tiny demonstration of love. We're preparing for God to bring righteousness like a flood into our lives and into our world. But it's also true that most of us can't always pray like Elijah. And that some of us find ourselves having a hard time ever praying like that. And so the good news is that Scripture shows us another kind of prayer too. In Mark chapter 9, a man comes to Jesus with his son who's had seizures for his whole life. And he doesn't ask Jesus, will you heal my child? Instead, he asks Jesus, can my child be healed? And Jesus replies, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the man's reply is a prayer that I've prayed, and a prayer that most of us have probably prayed sometime or another. He looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but even in those moments when I can't believe fully, when I have a hard time trusting, help my unbelief so that I might lean on you more. Friends, whether we pray like Elijah or with the quiet humility of this man, God hears our prayers. As you pray, as you trust, as you humble yourself before God, 
God uses those prayers to change your heart, to change our hearts, and to bring us closer to Him. When we bow before the altar of the Lord and lift up our hearts in prayer as an offering to Him, we not only learn about God, we not only learn to talk to God, we learn to listen and to truly and deeply know our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.